Blog Talk Radio. Good day, my brothers and sisters, fellow entrepreneurs around the globe. It is 0600 hours, or Romeo, for you nautical types, 1000 hours, Greenwich or Zulu. This is Rudder Radio, your guide to thrive in any economy. I'm William Eastman, Managing Partner for Applied Knowledge Labs North America, a business research company that is changing the formula of success for companies from zero to $50 million in revenue. And I'm your host for the next 30 minutes. Today's show is the first of 43, where we're going to be talking about the actual research. Uh, but I'm going to do it in a way that's common sense, so that you can take a look at your own company and say, where do we stand on this one? And so today's show is the best practices of fast and sustainable growth, an overview. And I'm going to cover the four major categories. But before we go there, let's talk about uh, some of the logistics of this. If you want to join us in the chat room, you can do so by hitting the chat now on our show page, which is blogtalkradio.com slash the rudder, T-H-E hyphen R-U-T-T-E-R. Um, you can dial in and join us live on the show at 347-215-7471. That's 347-215-7471. You can put me on Twitter, not tweet. I'm not a bird, so twit me on Twitter at W. Eastman, W-E-A-S-T-M-A-N, or as always is the case, which is a link on our show page to uh, my personal blog where we post the daily show notes. And um, if you want to do a search on it, just do a Google search, uh, the Rudder blog, and you should show up above the fold. Okay, so let's rock and roll on today's show. Um, as I said before, what we're going to do here is we're going to open the kimono. And what I mean by open the kimono is that we're going to basically show you everything that we've learned and everything we've done over the last seven years of research. Um, and it's a subject that I'm intimately um, connected to since I did the majority of the research, so it's something that I'm reasonably passionate about, given my prior life as a marine scientist and uh, spending about seven years doing oceanographic research, uh, longer ago than I care to remember. However, what I want to do is I wanted to share with you what we've done, and so you can get the context. But if we go back real quickly, uh, today is the uh, 21st show, and for those who want to request this information, um, you can use, use you can either use the code that Block Talk Radio uses, and this show is um, 616140 in their code. But if you if you get to me, here's our code. Here's what we want to do. You want show number 72121, July 21st, show 21. Um, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to do three things over the next 30 minutes. One is I'm going to talk about how did we create our database? How did we create our library? of best practices. Uh, we affectionately call that around here 
Lakotis. Uh, and if, for the you people that are familiar with the Star Trek series, uh, the one that was done by The Next Generation, then you recall that Captain Jean, uh, Jean-Luc Picard was captured and assimilated by the Borg, and that was his new name. And so we've always had fun with the idea that resistance is futile. Uh, the second part of the show is going to be the major findings, where we're going to, I'm going to talk about topically the four major categories, the best practices, and how that makes sense to business, just all real practical stuff. And then finally, we're going to talk about what the applications are. But if we go back to the shows, just let me quickly hit on what we've done up till today. Uh, our first show was just an introduction of the radio, and what I did is I, I laid out what we were doing, what we were about. Starting at show four and running through show nine, we took, this, we took the six stages, growth stages, that all companies, well, not all companies will go through, but if they're well-managed, they will go through. And we talked about each one of those stages to give you some sense of uh, what stage are you in and what are the critical issues in front of you and what is the role of the entrepreneur and what do you need to focus in on. And then starting at show 10, we said, okay, now that you've got an idea of the growth stages, what does the strategy within those companies look like and what makes them different? And one of the things we found very significant was that every one of these companies, um, their strategy, the way that they went to market, the way that they saw themselves was distinctly different from the companies that didn't. And so we already had something that was different to say, gee, maybe if we start here, um, we can build a company that actually goes there. And I think the analogy I used, and I think in show 10 with you or show, uh, yeah, probably show 10, was this, is that if you went to an auditorium to hear me give a presentation on this, let's say we had a couple hours and I was going to do what we've been doing in the radio show, uh, and I was a 1,000 people in there, is that how many of you would become market dominators out of that 1,000 of all of you started that day in business? And the answer is only one of you would be remaining standing after, after 10, 12 years. Only one would be left and only one would make it. So why is that? So then we get, what we did is we covered the six elements. What are the six characteristics of those companies that got there? And then um, we finished that up um, starting with show 18, which was last week and carried over to yesterday. Well, what were the missing links? What, are, what were some of the pieces that were not necessarily part of the research, but I felt compelled to add to say, gee, you need to know this in order for that to make sense? Well, after having done all that, where does that now leave us? Well, that leaves us with the issue of, all right, so what are the best practices? And so why 43 shows? Well, there are four categories. There are 34 best practices. And at the end of each one of those categories, and the way we're going to do it starting tomorrow is we're going to take the first category, which is market intelligence. And we are going to talk about that in general terms. And then the following shows, and all this is listed up on the site, for our scheduled events, is that I'm going to take each best practice, talk about it, and then at the end, we're going to conclude with, okay, what have we learned? What have we seen? What does the statistical runs that we've been doing, the micro-research that we do around the data that we collect, what is that telling us and what can you learn from that? And so when you put all that together, that basically means 42 shows plus this one, which is the introduction. So. That's what we've got planned, and let me take it from here, and let's get right to it. So let's talk about the creation of the database. I think in the, one of the early shows, in show one or show two, I talked about the, the journey that we went through, and part of that journey is my journey, 
and like all and like all of you that are listening that are entrepreneurs uh, the story of your business is really the story of you i had spent um, i i had got into consulting in 1979 and uh, I was in the US Coast Guard working as a marine scientist got assigned to a leadership and management school as an instructor and quite frankly didn't know anything about it but it was uh, I needed a I needed a tour on the beach uh, and for for you people that have never been to sea on the beach it means you get a, a shore job rather than floating on another boat um, I went there just for a couple years waiting for a bill to open on an icebreaker so I could get back to oceanography and what happened very quickly is I fell in love with the industry, went back to school, got a bachelor's and a master's degree in uh, management and organizational development, did some consulting, organizational development consulting in the Coast Guard, and then finally left to go out on my own. And since 1987, I've been business myself. Well, from 87 to 92, I'd been in large corporate consulting. I had four startups under my belt. Two of those startups were startups that I did personally with my own money, my own resources, and then there were two startups that I was engaged in that were internal startups and that I was brought into an organization um, to build a business unit or build a function. And really the only difference, if you think about it, uh, is the, uh, well, there's two differences. One is you have a budget when you do it inside that's not your money and so you're a little more willing to spend it. And number two, typically you have infrastructure to build off of the company. And so those were two interesting lessons. Well, my last company, I was the executive vice president of consulting services for an e-learning firm that was trying to raise money in uh, 2002 for uh, basically a, a dot-com. And those of you who remember back then, seven years ago, there basically was no money. In 1998, we would have done fundraising. In 2002, that wasn't really possible. So the company uh, basically went away, and I found myself uh, stranded in Las Vegas uh, in what to do next. And so what I did is I had been working on this idea for a number of years, and I had relayed a story on, on one of our shows about working in the, with the United Nations in Africa doing economic development. And the, the thing that struck me was that there's simply nothing out there for entrepreneurs, startups, and small businesses uh, all the information that we had uh, in large corporate consulting is is desperately needed in small businesses, but the question was is how to get there, uh, how to build a business model. And I think in the section on business models, which was on Friday, I think I talked in detail about what we did as a company to try to say, okay, if that's who we're going after with a very tight price point, and et cetera, et cetera, what type of company do you need to build? Um, so I started in 2002. And that is how the, the process started. And what I did is, since I was at the university and had some colleagues, there's some good friends, um, it allowed me to have access to LexisNexis, as well as the library over at the business school. And I went and I did uh, a review of the literature, so to speak. And I looked at research that had been conducted, uh, research papers published and unpublished by graduate students. I looked at uh, studies done by business departments. I looked at studies done by... Uh, state and local governments, federal government. I looked at private foundations. And I also looked at the common literature because there are, if you go into Barnes & Noble or, um, or Borders or Books a Million in the United States, those are the, th the three major players. I think uh, uh, Borders is also in Canada, and I think Blue Indigo is the other one in Canada that, uh, that I used to go to. Uh, what you'll find is about 20% of the business books written are actually well-researched. Uh, the other 80% are per pretty much um, 
anecdotal information, the experience of somebody who said, here's what I've learned, uh, not saying it's not relevant, but not necessarily something you could say, okay, these are characteristics I want to copy. Uh, because they could be just uh, this work because it was uh, peculiar to this person in this circumstance at this moment in time. And I looked at all those and I said, okay, what what is it about fast growth? Because that's also what interests me because what all businesses have in common, regardless of their size, is their need to grow. Because if you've been in business for any period of time, I think what you do know um, in your heart and soul is that if you're not growing, you're declining. And um, if you're trying to build this thing, um, uh, number one is much better than number two. So what were the common characteristics of fast growth? And so that's what I did. After we got what looked like well-written studies, well-researched, I had a chance to look at the sites and say I'm confident about this, uh, as well as look at the literature. Uh, I'm, I'm not necessarily pushing anybody, but uh, for example, Jim Collins, Good to Great, and a couple of his other books. Jim Collins does a very, very good job of doing research, citing the research. You can backtrack. You can look at his stuff as opposed to some other people I've worked with where the book was written in the hot tub, where eh, I think it kind of goes this way. Uh, I wanted to avoid that because if I'm going to have the future of a business in my hands and they're going to listen to the advice that we give, uh, I, I am not comfortable giving a hot tub advice. So we did that. Then the second thing we did is that we, from that we built the model, and here were the requirements. We looked at the research. I went through there. I looked at the results. I also did a thematic analysis, and then I looked for patterns in there and built kind of a code book that says, okay, here are the eight things that this company did, and then looked at the next study, and here are the nine things that they did. And after we went through all of it, and it was a real mess, when you, if you can just picture this all laid out, then what we did is we said, okay, what do they have in common? And our rule was there had to be a 75% overlap. In other words, if the item showed up in one research project, it had to show up in 75 of them, 75%. If it did, then it carried over and made it to our, our I wouldn't say final list, but it made it over to what um, in software terms our alpha or 1.0 list. And so that's how we built the original model. And what it did is it took about a year. I would say that we had a workable model someplace in mid-2003 to, uh, to late 2003. Then the, the, the final thing we did is we did apply some theories to it. Now, what I want to say to you is this, is that uh, there were no models that we used going in. So there was no filters. There was nothing of, well, it doesn't fit my model, so I don't include it. Uh, I was completely agnostic when I started and simply said, whatever it says is what it says. And then we, from what it says, we'll make some uh, determinations, we'll draw some meaning from it. And so what we did is then we, we looked at what those business laws were. And in fact, in show two, when we talked about the business, uh, the laws of business and gravity, I covered those. So we, we applied the three basic laws to this. One was systems theory. And we looked at it and said, okay, now let's use a systems theory mindset to look at the data. The second one we used was the life cycle model and said, okay, let's look at the, the stages of growth and begin to parse the information. And the third one we looked at was a, a theory uh, that was, for lack of better uh, definition, I would call control theory, in that how do, you, how do you control organizations? What are the things that you need to do to control how organizations operate? And, and as you, if you listen to the series on, um, on growth stages, which was 
shows four through nine, uh, what you what you quickly learn from us right there is that the approach is always situational to what are the issues relevant to the growth stage. So we applied that, but it was done after the fact and it was very light. There's a lot of theories that are out there that I think are pretty good that we didn't apply to it because our goal was to make this practical and simple to use. So that's how we created the database. Um, and then the next piece is going to be I'm going to talk about what those major findings were. But before I move on, let me just stop for a second to talk a little bit about us. Um, uh, I, I'm an entrepreneur. This is my fifth company, as I talked about before, three external, two internal. Um, I had one that is incredible success beyond anything that I could imagine. I had one that was horrendous failure. And then the other two were kind of mitza-mitza. They were kind of okay, kind of average, but they certainly didn't live up to my expectations. So like any entrepreneur, especially any serial entrepreneur, I have a track record that's kind of mixed, and I think you have to because that's how you learn things. But one thing that happened to me over those years is that the stress of all this was a great deal. Uh, when you've got everything on the line, everything bet on this play of the, of the hand, this turn of the card, it becomes very stressful, especially when you're by yourself. And typically what happens in a company is that you've got other people working for you, but there are a lot of issues that you just really don't feel comfortable discussing with them. And that's one of the th reasons that we started the company. That is really what our role is. And that is, we're the one resource, resource that you can turn to, uh, the one group of people that are here specifically to help you grow the company. And we, we are basically data agnostics or almost data atheists in that I don't care what your data says. Uh, that's not my job. My job is to provide the most accurate picture. And so what we do is we provide companies with the tools to grow their company regardless of the economy they're in, regardless of the growth stage. How do we do that? We have an assessment call forecast, which is like going to a doctor for a full checkup, like going to the Mayo Clinic and saying, okay, do me. And they run all the tests, and they come back to you and say, okay, let's go through blood chemistry, and then let's go through the MRIs, and let's go through the CAT scans. And they basically give you all that information and say, here is the general state of your health to create a baseline. Well, that's what forecast does, is that... And what we can tell you is we can tell you what stage of growth you're in. We can tell you what previous stages um, where you didn't do things that you needed to do that if you want to grow the firm any further, you've got to take care of because there are always going to be anchors. We're going to tell you what are the things that are currently on your plate today and how well you're doing those. And then we're going to tell you some of the things that you can predict you're going to see in the future and how to put them in some sort of sequence. And come back to this data atheist for a second, is that uh, we don't sell any services. We, you know, we're strictly a product company. And the reason we don't sell services, not that we couldn't because we did for a good many years, is that uh, I don't want to have you wondering why the assessment says what it says if you think that I'm going to sell you something else. And the fact is, we don't sell anything else. So that's why we're data atheists. My job is to give you an accurate picture. My company does. And when you deal with us, that's our, that's our sole goal. Once you get it, once you understand it, once you draw meaning from it, once you make a decision about where you want to take the company, then um, uh, we'll help you get consulting help if you want it uh, because we have a pretty good network of colleagues or we'll work with who you got or help you hire somebody totally new to us. But the role here is what we want to do is give you an accurate picture of where you are so you can triage the past, um, you can prioritize the present, and you can begin to sequence the future. 
And so if you'd like that, if you'd like to find out more about it, or specifically get your hands on a, uh, a paper that we just recently did, a piece of research on what are the best practices uh, of fast growth during an economic recession, uh, then all you got to do is hit me up with an email, eastman at aklabs, A-K-L-A-B-S dot org. Or you can call us on our new Skype hotline, and uh, I or somebody from the staff will get right get right with you, and that's 804-471-1660. Okay. So getting back to the research, what were our major findings? Well, our major findings was this, that working from the top down, even though we the research was from the bottom up, let me take it from the top down, is that we found that there were four general categories, and those categories were market intelligence. Now, what is market intelligence? Market intelligence is your attempt to determine where competitive ex advantage exists today in the market. Where is the competitive advantage? What are people buying? Where, where are the unmet needs? Where is the greatest financial gain? And so the role of market intel is to basically say to you, if you were to go after this segment of the market with this population, with this offer, is that you have got business waiting for you if you can show up. And so I think the analogy we used before is that this is going to where the puck is, but also when you do this analysis, you begin to understand what's happening in the market and that the market's very dynamic and it begins to move, then you can go to where the puck will be, so kind of competing in the future. And then what we found is that there were three best practices that made this up. The second category is brand and strategy. Um, and as I've talked about many times, and I talked about yesterday when we did the branded side, is that brand is superior to strategy, is that all of the best companies, and if you look at them, and I consistently use Google as an example because most everybody knows Google, is that it's about brand and strategy is the execution of brand. Um, this is your core competence. So the, S, the, the element of any company is their core competence. What do they do better than anybody else that is very, very difficult to imitate. And that there are, I think there are about 10 best practices to make that up. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 10. See, right from memory, 10 best practices uh, to make that up. But basically what that competitive advantage is, is really two things to consider. One is how well do you align the people who do the work with the strategy and brand of the company? That's a kind of a vert alignment of the firm. The second part of this core competence is how well you align processes and customers, which gets us to the third category. And the third category is what we call um, operations or systems and processes. And what this looks at is your productive capacity. How much can the company actually do? Because if you look at constraints to growth, there are only two principal reasons why you can't grow the company. There are lots of underlying reasons, but the essence of this is simple. One is sales and the other is capacity. And in, in, in other words, in sales is we could do more if we sold more. That is a sales constraint. Or I'd sell more if we could do more which is a capacity constraint. And those are the two fundamental constraints around any business. And so your productive capacity looks at your systems and processes and says, 
all right, what can we build? And the thing that we do with our clients is we, we have them focus on this one and say, your role, your goal is to become the lowest uh, cost producer in your industry. Not the lowest price, which is a branding decision, but the lowest cost producer. How do you do this? Well, you look at your productive capacity, and what you do is you say to yourself, if we ran at 100% efficiency everywhere, what should we be able to do? And then you target 95% of that and say, we've got to get this company at 95%. When you have your company at 95%, then you're doing all you can do, and then that gives you the ability to sell more. And then finally, the fourth category it has to do around talent, or what we call discretionary performance. And it's last rather than first, and a lot of people say the human resource is the most valuable asset. I'm not disagreeing with that, but the analogy I've used in the past with you, and I'll use again, is here's two choices you have. You have a company that has great systems and infrastructure, great productive capacity, and they have average employees. And that company is competing against a company that does not have much processes and procedures in place, that has an unknown productive capacity, but it has great people. Which company do you think is going to win? And, of course, most of you are going to say the first one, and that's always true is that great people will not overcome bad systems. And so the reason it's last is to think about this. If you build a great infrastructure and you hire average people, you're going to beat most everybody in your marketplace. On the other hand, if you hire good people and then really develop them into great people, then you have a competitive advantage there that makes you unique among all the companies. And so those are the four categories. The companies go out and they do intel on what's going on in the market and what they can foresee in the immediate future. They then put together a strategy that fits their brand image that says, let's go get it. They make sure that the operational side of the company can then produce on the promises. And then finally, they make sure that they've got the right people in the right job with the right training and so that they can get that done. And so those are the four general categories. Underneath those is a series of best practices, 34 total. And then at the, at, the, at the detail level, we have what we call attributes. And attributes are the specific behaviors. So let me take, um, let me take one here. I'm just going to look at one real quickly. Um, goal integration is the best practice under brand and strategy. And what goal integration, uh, goal integration means blending diverse goals. Your business objectives, job demands, professional development to align people with strategies, processes, with customers. Now, what does that really mean? What that means is that you got somebody that's got a job to do, and that job has a series of tasks, okay? Um, they may deal with customers and suppliers, and a lot of times the way their role is defined a task doesn't take that into account, so you got some new things they got to do. Then you've got, let's say, the yearly business plan when you tell them, look, you, what you, we need to do this year is we need to make X number of dollars. And so what you have is you have some confusion. And people could say, well, uh, you want me to work on the business goals? You want me to do my job? You want me to service customers? Well, the answer is yes, because that's all part of your job. But a lot of times what we don't do is we don't integrate those together to make it relatively simple for the person to say, when you do the following things, you will be moving the company towards goals, you will be doing your job, you'll be servicers, you'll be taking care of suppliers. And so that is a best practice. And underneath that best practice, there is, I believe, probably five attributes, specific things that companies did. And so when we talk about this, the way that we built the research is we built it at the attribute level first. We said, what did the companies do? 
Then we said, how, do the, how are those organized? And we organized the attributes and the best practices. And then how do we organize the best practices? We organized them into categories. Now, I'm going to spend more detail with this. And of course, make sure that you go to our blog uh, site, uh, the Rudder blog, which has the link on our show page that will have that information for you today. And then finally, the applications. How have we used this? Well, um, it's used to identify obstacles and opportunities for small business. So if you take a, a forecast assessment, what comes out of this is based upon these best practices and the attributes, we could say, here are the things that you're not maximizing that you could accelerate. Here are the things that are in the way. And so very quickly, you could say, what's my, what is my plan to take advantage of the opportunities? What's my plan to remove my obstacles? Or you can get those bundled into specific packages. For example, we've just built something called Survival Pack that looks at the best practices specific to how do companies not only survive but grow in a down economy. Uh, number three is we build custom. Uh, we have uh, clients who have specific needs or the processes. For example, we uh, a lot of are assessments used by a lot of different consulting organizations and training organizations, and they've embedded it into their process of how do they do business. And so by embedding it in the process, uh, that's something custom that we built. So basically, we can build anything that we need to build. Um, we just recently handled a merger of two $25 million firms in Canada. How did it was it used? We did a, we did the a forecast assessment on the two, on the two companies compared the two and said, here's how you stitch it together. And then we have a major university using it for a consulting training coaching platform. So this is, this is the format we're going to use going forward. Uh, I'm going to take category first. I'm going to say, let's take the market intelligence category. What are the best practices? What are the lessons learned? And so for the next 42 shows, anything and everything you ever wanted to know about how to grow your company is there. So with that, thanks for being with me today. Um, download this, listen to it, and get ready for just a hot uh, next 42 shows. Take care. And uh, from Richmond, Virginia, have a great business day.